beautiful humans. And welcome to the Mental Wellness Wake Up Show, a weekly podcast where growth-minded, creative people come to learn tips and tools from psychology, spirituality, and improvisation that create lasting well-being. I'm your host, mental wellness expert, workshop leader, improviser, therapist, and coach, Dawn McMillan. Let's get to it. So what I want to talk about today is, but does it work though? (laughs) I'm taking a course and you will probably hear me say that a lot. Learning is probably my favorite thing to do. So I'm always taking a course. So I'm taking a course and the instructor spoke about the idea that there isn't really right and wrong. There's just, does this work in favor of what it is that you say that you're trying to create? So for example, if I want to create joy and peace in my environment, does it work for me to scream at my children and call them names? So it's a good it's a good framework. And one of the reasons that I, I really liked that framework about thinking less about right or wrong and more about does this actually work is because of my training in acceptance and commitment therapy. Workability is the primary measurement of what is worth doing. So acceptance is radically allowing what already exists to be rather than aligning, agreeing, resisting or reacting. Commitment, committing to taking actions in alignment with your values. And then that's where we get with the workability. So if I value being a good collaborator to my coworkers, and then I start withholding information from them, then I'm not taking valued action. I'm not taking action in accordance with my values. I am taking action in opposition to my values and that will never work. And I think it's very hard to look around the world and see a disconnect between what people say they value, what's important to them and the way that they behave because the behavior is in contradiction to the stated value. And you don't have to sit here and judge people like, oh, those people. To quote Michael Jackson, let's start with the man in the mirror. I personally would be a little disturbed if I saw a man in my mirror, but um, that's another story. So we want to work on workability. We want to work on workability. Getting caught up in right and wrong and good and bad gets us solidly in the realm of judgment and criticism, moralizing And so the pushback here might be, well, there is good and bad. And I have a moral code that I've been given by my religion, my ethics, my philosophy, and I'm going to live by that. I invite you to consider what the values that those rules are trying to impart to you. Why does your religion or your philosophy or your introspection tell you to not murder people. Like what's the value underneath that? And can you take action in accordance with that value? So rather than this is good and this is bad, this is the value. Does this work in service of that value or does it work in opposition to that value? So one of the reasons why workability becomes so very helpful 
is because you don't have to compare and contrast your moral code to anyone else's moral code. It makes room for psychological flexibility, which is also one of the key components of acceptance and commitment therapy. And the reason why psychological flexibility is one of the key components is because therein lies functionality. We talk a lot about dysfunction. Functional people have psychological flexibility. So I'm making the case that good and bad, right and wrong have problems inherent in them because they pit us against the past, the future, and other people. Whereas workability says, what is the underlying value and is what I'm doing in service of that value or not? And if it is in service of that value, then it will have a degree of workability. So let's talk about one of the most insidious non-workable solutions that we are all using. What's that, you ask? I'm so glad you asked. Control. And if you're like me, the Janet Jackson song just came into my mind. Go, go listen to that when you're done. I'll wait. <laughs> Control. We are so taught in our culture that we can and should control our inner experiences. And what happens because we are taught that we can and should control our inner experiences is that when we fail, we can get into a cycle of blame and shame. And when we fail, we to control our inner experiences, we often go through to great lengths to avoid our inner experiences. So I've talked about this a little bit before, and I, I want to dig into it a little bit more. And I'm going to borrow from, from Russ Harris. He is one of my favorite explicators of for, for acceptance and commitment therapy. I just dig the way that he makes it simple to understand. So I'm going to borrow from Russ here. So he's talking about the normality of control. So we have all tried strategies to control our inner world. We tried distraction, right? I'm just going to, instead of thinking about that experience that I don't like, that anxiety, I'm going to distract myself. We try drugs, alcohol, marijuana, sugar, caffeine. We try to avoid people and places and things that might trigger an experience that we don't like. Sometimes so much so, the fear of the inner experience we might experience narrows our focus so much that we begin to avoid any activity, person, or experience that might remind us of an activity, person, or experience that might be something unpleasant. We become so afraid of shame that we don't make any choices whatsoever. We live in a little box. So control, the control agenda that we've all bought, especially those of us who are Americans, we've all bought it. We think if we control our inner experiences, we can have the life that we've always wanted. We can create everything that we want. And it's all about control. I am hammering on this word control because that is the problem. Control is the problem and not the solution. So how does this happen? We all 
have been caught up in this agenda. We live in this feel-good society. Everyone likes to feel good. No one likes to feel bad. So we do whatever we can to get rid of unpleasant feelings. Whenever we can't get rid of those unpleasant thoughts and feelings, we do something more extreme to try to get rid of those thoughts and feelings so it can accelerate. And you may recognize that as an iteration of addiction. (laughs) Oh, okay. The one dose of my drug of choice isn't working. I need more. So we keep trying and trying all these different strategies to get rid of unpleasant inner experiences, feelings we don't enjoy. And the question is, does it work? Does it work? And what happens is we begin to increase our suffering because of our obsession with trying to control our inner experiences. And there are four reasons why we do that. Um, We've all fought bought into this happiness trap. We've bought into the myth that humans are naturally happy and we should feel good most of the time. If you look at an emotion wheel or an emotion chart, just notice how many of them are in the feel good, hear the air quotes category, and how many are not. So two, because the things we do control, we do to control our feelings often do work in the short term. So if I I'm feeling anxious and I smoke a joint, then yeah, I stop feeling anxious for a little while. And so that becomes self-reinforcing. The strategy does work. If I'm feeling angry and I stuff a Snickers in my face, the sugar rush, the flavor of the sugar, the intensity of that experience does distract me from my anger for a little while. The third reason why we keep using these control strategies to try to stop ourselves from having inner experiences that we don't like is that we think they're working for other people. So we have a lot of gurus who are telling us that, you know, if you just do this system, then you never have to have an unpleasant internal experience and you'll just be blissed out all the time. So now I'm in trouble because my own personal spiritual tradition does move towards a sense of joy and a sense of contentment and a sense of peace. And it doesn't do that by making you fight your inner experiences, by trying to control them. The spiritual paths, when they are working, I'm in so much trouble with this, when they are working are often about noticing the inner experience without judging it, without getting attached to it, without aligning, agreeing, resisting, or reacting. When you were in meditation and your thought comes up about the fight you wished you'd had with your coworker last week, all the things you wish you had said, you don't try to suppress it. You don't try to get rid of it. You don't shame that thought. You watch it float by like clouds in the sky. And in so being, in that state of, I am the sky and my thoughts are the clouds floating by, you do reach a sense of serenity and contentment, peace, and possibly joy 
that is a different experience than happiness that we're chasing, which in the world, according to Dawn, and this is a fairly well-informed opinion, is on the excitement spectrum. Happiness is about, I feel really some version of excited because something is going on the way that I prefer. Whereas joy is a state of being that transcends and includes happiness sometimes and transcends and includes other states of being as well. So one, we've fallen into a happy happiness trap. We think that we are happy all the time. Two, sometimes the control agenda does work. If you're if you're in a good mood, if things are going your way, you're well rested, you had a great meal, every, every the birds are singing, the sun is shining, you're getting compliments on your outfit, yeah, the, that control agenda is going to work for you. And then we look around and we, everyone else seems to have it together. I got, I got sucked into a doom scroll. It wasn't really a doom scroll because it wasn't too bad, but I was just scrolling, 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 scrolling seeing nothing that I particularly valued seeing, but just scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. And that's everyone else's highlight reel. Everyone looked like they're just out there, just making magic happen left and right. No problems. Fabulousness. So you think everyone else has got it down. Everyone else is feeling great, looking great. Killing the game, as some people like to say. But the main reason that we all have this control agenda is because that's how our brains evolved. Our brains evolved with this control agenda and it works beautifully on the outside world. It's a gorgeous tool for the outside world. Your brain is a problem solving machine and it's great. You look, you're, you look around your little environment and there's a, a boulder in your path. Your brain's like, I got this. Begin walk over it. We can walk around it. We can, we can blow it up. We can start digging through it. We can tunnel underneath it. We can, you know, and then you solve that problem and off you go on your path. So the brain is a tool for problem solving. Brain's a hammer and it makes everything look like a nail, even your own internal experiences. So we're all just walking around trying to control how we feel and it doesn't work. It's not that we've got no control. We just would have a lot less than we'd like. And when we fail to control our inner world, we get judgmental, we get shamey, we get blamey, we get addicty, we get really upset with ourselves. So we, we have, and I've said this before, I think <laughs> we have that second arrow that the Buddhists speak about. The first arrow is the pain of life. The second arrow is the suffering we create about the pain of life. So within, when our control agenda fails, right? Some unpleasant, some inner experiences just occurred that we do not prefer. We don't enjoy it. So, we, so we're suffering. That's the initial arrow. Um, Bob looked at me funny and now I think he's judging my new haircut and I feel wildly anxious and insecure. First arrow wildly anxious and insecure are not feelings most of us want to have. And so we try to do something to control it. And if it doesn't work, then we think there's something wrong with us and we suffer even worse. Make sense? So imagine 
Okay, so we think we can control our thoughts. So just imagine for a moment that I said to you right now, completely delete, never to be retrieved again through sheer force of will, everything you just did for the last hour. Come on. You got control over your mind. Just delete it. Just wipe it out of your mind. Eternal sunshine of the spotless mind yourself right now with sheer force of will. Did you do it? Or how about this? Um, I'm going to teach you French and I want you to completely forget English. I'm assuming you speak English because you're listening to me. Just never, ever remember another word of English. You're going to be a French speaker now using the sheer force of your will. Delete the whole language from your, from your brain. Can you do it? But we're in control of our brains, right? We're in, we're the charge of our brains. We can make it do whatever we want, right? So those are extreme examples. And it's really just meant to help us get a handle on the illusion of control. It's not that we have none. It's just that we don't have as much as we wish we had. An analogy a podcaster I like uses is that the violin has all the freedom it wants to move around inside its case. It's kind of like this. So if we let go of the illusion of control, the belief that we can reach a state where we are happy all the time and have complete and total control over all of our inner experiences, if we can just drop that, we suddenly create so much more energy. We create so much more peace, so much more freedom. So this brings us back to the top of the episode. Does it work? Lots of people grew up being spanked, or maybe some people still spank their children. And research has shown that children who are spanked are not any better behaved than children who are not. Ultimately, they have the same amount of acting out. And there are side effects for spanking that can be detrimental to the parent-child relationship and the child's own emotional development. So the question is, does it work? In the short term, it does but does it work over time? Does it work in the way that creates what it is that you want to create? If your goal is simply to control in the moment, then yeah, a lot of our strategies do work. If I'm feeling anxious and I eat a cookie, that strategy does work in the short term. But what happens, you know, three minutes later when the cookie's done, I haven't solved the actual problem. I'm probably feeling just as that feeling that I had is just suppressed a tiny little bit. And now I have the, ugh, I can't believe I just shoved a cookie in my face that I barely tasted because I was eating uh, emotionally instead of mindfully. So the question is, but does it work though? And if the answer is yes, it works in the short term and the long term in a peaceful, joyful way, then by golly, keep doing it. But if the answer to, but does it work though, is, well, sometimes under certain conditions, and maybe if I just tried a whole lot harder, 
then maybe reconsider that the control agenda isn't serving us nearly as well as we might like. But does it work though? So stepping outside the field of right or wrong, is that Rumi or Huffies? I think it's Rumi. There's a field outside of right and wrong. And for me, for for this episode right now, I'm suggesting that that field is made up of what are my true values and is what I'm doing working in service of those true values? And if it's not working, can I let it go? Can I stop the struggle? Can I stop the reacting and the resisting and the aligning and the agreeing with strategies that are not serving me? So I hope this was helpful. Or if not helpful, at least thought-provoking. This is one of those aspects of acceptance and commitment therapy that can be very difficult to get across and to allow and accept. And when you are at a certain point of, I just don't want to do it the way I've been doing it anymore. Sometimes it takes that before we're willing to give up on the happiness all the time idea, at least in the way that our culture has shown it to us. So consider if you stop trying to control your inner experiences and maybe instead worked on accepting that they have already occurred Acknowledge that they're there and then commit to taking the valued action that serves your life better. Okay. Thanks for listening. And can I please be the one to remind you at this moment, first of all, would you kindly just please take a big deep breath and hold it and sigh it out. Some of my material is challenging, I know, and I would be doing you and myself a disservice if I just only talked about things that were easy or fun to hear instead of things that are useful and helpful to know. (laughs) One big more deep breath. Big more? Sure. Just blow it out and listen as I remind you, you, yes, you are whole, perfect, and complete, just the way you are. And as you are in this moment, you are worthy, deserving, and good enough for all good things. Please do so much generous, wonderful, loving things for you this week. And I will see you next week. I am so honored that you share time with me. If you've listened this far, then something here was of value to you. Would you please be a friend of the podcast and share it with at least one other person? The podcast is available on most platforms, including YouTube. And I need your help to get the word out. So please like, subscribe, and share. And a five-star review on iTunes would be chef's kiss. 
Thank you so much. See you next time.